And if you have your Bible, if you would turn to the book of James, we're starting a new series. Actually, we did a couple of weeks ago in the book of James. And what we find out about the book of James is that it is a book of gospel wisdom. James uh, is the half-brother of Jesus. And so when you read this book, you kind of you kind of feel like there's a mesh between uh, the Proverbs of the Old Testament, the Sermon on the Mount uh, of the New Testament. And what James is doing is he's, he's trying to give us uh, a path on how to walk as believers in Christ. Um, and so there's a lot of gems that are in this book. Now, the first audience that he's writing to is... Believers, uh, Jewish believers, and some people who are still, uh, just like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, there's a crowd of people who are kind of listening and they're trying to figure out uh, about the claims of Christ. Is he someone who is worthy of following? There are some that are kind of playing the part, uh, but their actions are showing that really they're putting their faith and trust in something other than Christ. And so James, he, he's pretty blunt in these uh, five chapters, uh, he doesn't uh, speak a lot of fluff. He gets to the point, just like the book of Proverbs does. Uh, but he's speaking to Jewish Christians. But here's the key. These Jewish Christians in the first century are suffering severe persecution. Lots of trials are going on in their life. And that's what we covered at the first part of chapter 1. You know, basically, trials. You know, we, we're all going to face them. It doesn't say if you come into trials. It says when trials come your way. And so what we found out last time was that you have two options as a believer in Christ who are facing trials. Okay, number one, you can grow through the trials, which is the desire of God. Okay, he either allows or ordains these trials to happen so that we can uh, become a steadfast person. Okay, someone who looks at at the truths of God and uh, the waywardness of this world and say, you know what, I'm going to trust in the truthfulness of God. I'm going to stand during this trial. And then from that standing, we become mature. We become people who not only can uh, survive the trials, we can also be that big brother or big sister to those who are struggling as well. Uh, now, this trial that we go through can only be completed if you're in Christ. Okay, so option number one, grow through these trials with Christ. Or number two, you can stumble alone in temptations. Because in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the things that are going on, God, who's all good, okay, is going to give good things to you. But sometimes we can either misinterpret or we can focus on our own self. We can put ourselves in our own little bubble and we can say, you know what? I'm a good person in and of myself, so everyone else is the problem. Even God could be the problem. And so then we start getting into temptations to sin in order to justify uh, our feelings. So listen, in the midst of trials, I want to warn you, and I say this to myself as well. We've been there, okay? In the midst of trials, sometimes we can't see straight. Have you ever been there? You've been in a trial and you can't see straight? Anybody? Okay, you know what we're talking about here, all right? Okay, in the midst of that trial, we have to be very careful not to be deceived by our wayward, wandering hearts and our feelings that contradict the facts of God's Word. The way to do this is to go to God's Word. Today's message is going to be simple. 
Okay, We're not going to learn some new truths, but that's okay. Because the point isn't always about learning new truths. It's about doing what we know. Doing what we know. So, again, we're talking about Christians, uh, Jewish Christians who are living in the midst of trials and struggles. Before we even take a step and to tell you, all right, here's what James says for you to do in this area. We got to go up a notch. Okay, we got to go from heaven's perspective looking down. So we're going to put on God's goggles for a moment and kind of see his perspective about what's going on. If you're in James, go to chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, and we're going to read, uh, I believe, heaven's view of our situation. Heaven's view of our situation is this. James says, do not be deceived. Okay, you see that? We're going to see that word three times in the passages today. All right, James is concerned, and I believe it's the heart of God is concerned, that in the midst of our situations, we're going to be deceived. All right, we're going to listen to voices we should not listen to, namely our own selves. All right, and so when we do that, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. So he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, which means he believes he's talking to believers here. All right. Do not be deceived. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Not darkness, but of lights. The originator of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. He doesn't shift. He's not a shady God. All right? Everything about him is good and right and light. Everything about him. So God is good and God does good. So if there's bad things going on in your life, you cannot say it originated from God because it's not his nature. Remember that when you're going through trials. Okay, don't be deceived by thinking other than that. But then let's go back to heaven's view again. He says this. God is so good. He's got great gifts, perfect gifts. He comes from above. Listen to this. Of, this is verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth, or he birthed us, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That you and I, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Listen, to those of us in here who have come to know and to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior, listen, your wonderful salvation, how did it come to us? Listen, it was birthed, it was willed in the heart and the mind of God before the foundation of the world, and it came to us, according to the scripture, by the word of truth. Okay, by the word of truth. Let's see. This is how God sees your situation. Okay, we're going through trials. We're going to all these things. God looks at it and says, are you my child? Are you trusting in me? All right. It's pretty simple up there. Okay, because the trials that you and I are dealing with now ultimately will not matter 10,000 years from now. They ultimately won't. So from God's perspective, his, his greatest desire for your life is that you would receive that wonderful salvation given to us by the word of truth, okay? So what we have here is by the grace and mercy of God, we, even today, none of y'all are exempt from this, every one of us are exposed to the word of God, the gospel. We are exposed to that. Then, here's what's so cool. This has happened to many of you already. Then, as you're hearing this word of truth, God opens up your heart and mind to receive these very truths of his word. 
And when you receive them by faith and trust in Jesus, you become children of God. This is God doing a miraculous, eternally changing work in your life. And then... When you become accepted, not by anything that you have done, but by, but by the work, by the obedience, by the goodness of God in Christ who died on a cross for your sins. See, there's nothing you could do about it, okay? Because we were sinful. We couldn't change our situation. We couldn't change our destination. We desperately needed somebody to come through for us, someone to save us. And so Jesus Christ comes on the earth to die for sin so that you and I, if we would trust in His sacrifice for us, we would not die to sin. We would live for eternal life in His name. And then God accepts us. Not because of our goodness, but because of Christ's goodness that we received. Then we become children of of God. I'm going to look at another passage real quick. John 1.12. John 1.12. Listen to the glorious truth of this passage. John says, even before that in verse 11, not everyone who, who uh, heard Jesus believed in him, but there are some that did. He says, but to all those, this is John 1.12, but to all who did receive Jesus... Who believed in his name, he, God, gave the right, which means he accepted, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, which means you can't come to heaven because of your lineage. All right? You can't come to heaven just because your parents were believers. Okay? That's not what it's saying. These people were born uh, not of blood. It says, nor the will of the flesh, meaning your good works. If I can try to work my way in my flesh, it's not good enough because you'll always have our own sin against us. So it's not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Meaning you can't even desire it enough. The scripture says that none of us look towards God. None of us want to be related to him. We want to do our own thing. In and of ourselves, of our pride, we want nothing to do with God. So then how in the world... Are we received? He says, not by blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. It's the very gracious will of God that you and I are saved. That God gave us the word of God. Everyone in this room, we have the word of God. We're going to hear the word of God. And then everyone in this room, as God opens your eyes, you have a choice to make. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. It's not over with yet. Look at the rest of verse 18. He saved us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God saved us not just because he had a human shaped hole in his heart and he just needed to fill it, okay? God was up in heaven kind of bored. What can I do now? I know. I'll just save a few people. Maybe we could play ping pong together in heaven. It's nothing like that. God saved us for a bigger, greater reason than all of that. God saved us to show all of creation that God is at work. And that's why when he saved us, he called us first 
fruits. Let me explain what that means. When you and I became born again, we became an evidence. As creation, as other people see us and they see our changed life, they can't help but to think, God is up to something. God is up to something good. So God is using your new life, your regeneration, as an example, showing all of creation that He is going to make all things new. And here's what's beautiful about that. Okay, God has a way of speaking to uh, things that you and I don't. Okay, God can, can communicate, you know, with animals. He can make animals speak. It's pretty crazy. God knows that all of creation is groaning right now. We just sung about that. God's creation is groaning. Why? Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin came upon the earth. And it's not just internal sin that you and I struggle with. It's external sin that is causing this world to crack, to crumble, to decay. And creation, according to Romans 8, is groaning for that day when God comes back to restore all things new. And the first fruits, God is saying, look what I'm doing, creation. I'm making these people new who were once lost and hell-bent and hell-bound. I, by the, by the saving work of Jesus Christ, have turned their direction to heaven. So if I can do that with them, I'm going to do that with all of creation. So think of yourself as a show house. And what I mean by that is, anybody seen a new subdivision come up lately? All right. Uh, usually as you go into the uh, subdivision, there's usually at least one house that's been there and like nobody else is there. But that house sure does look furnished, doesn't it? And what's that called? That's right. Okay, so these, these show houses or whatever you want to call it, it sounds like I'm saying show horse, okay? These model homes, what you do is you walk into these homes and these are the homes that some of the contractors will build similar to that if you want it. And that thing is fully furnished. And so you walk into that house and you think to yourself, I want a house just like this. So I'm sold. Let me buy property X over on the end of the cul-de-sac. And you're pumped, you're excited because you saw a preview of what could be. Church, here's what should happen. People who are far from God and invited by your loving invitation should be able to walk into a church or walk into your small group. Spend an hour or so there and leave saying, that's what I want for my life. Yet, many times we look just like the world. James is about to get real serious here. That's heaven's perspective. God sees those who are coming to know him, and boy, he's pumped. He gave them the word of truth, and he continues to give us the word of truth, which brings us through the rest of this chapter. Let's now look at our perspective. All right, so go back to James 1.19. Listen, here's what our perspective is, okay? In the midst of trials, how in the world are you and I supposed to approach this word of truth? All right. If if the Bible says that God, um, yeah, if the Bible says that God gave us His Word, He gave us this Word that, that that radically changes our eternity and even our today. How are we to approach His Word? Number one, listen, listen to the Word. 
Mind-blowing, isn't it? You're like, i got to write that down. That's good. Or you could just highlight it because it's going to say it right here in the passage. <laughs> in James 1.19, listen to what it says. James says, know this, my beloved brothers. Again, he's speaking to them as, as, as though they're believers in Christ. He says, know this. Don't be deceived. Know this. Let every person be quick to hear. Context of this, you're going to find out, is the word of God. So I'm, I'm giving that up to you right now. Okay? So let everyone be quick to hear. Okay, that should be something that you rush to do. I rush to, listen, I rush to here. But you also need to be slow to do other things. You need to be like molasses when it comes to a couple of things. Number one, you need to be slow to speak. There's an old wise saying, and I know you've heard it before. It said, God gave us two ears and one tongue. The ears are open and visible. The tongue is caged by your teeth. And so it's very important for us to listen twice as much as we speak. And so with that being true, he says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, but also it says slow to anger. Okay, slow to that, that idea that, that I don't need anybody else. And if you, if you get in my business, uh, you're about to see my business. Okay, that kind of mindset. Listen to what the rest of the verse says. For the anger of man which is what happens when we're quick to speak, okay, and slow to hear. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You've been there, right? After you've either honked the horn or rolled down the window and and maybe waved it to somebody with missing fingers, uh, whatever it is that you may have done or even said, has there ever been a time when just a few moments later you're like... You know, I really wish I didn't do that. Then you start remembering, oh, I got that Jesus fish on my car. Or when you get home, busy day, you're you're carrying the weight of the world on you, and you get home, and I've been guilty of this. I get home, and then uh, the weight of other people's worlds come upon me, and instead of Bearing it together, I throw it back at them. And I go and I cool down, I come back, I have to apologize. At that moment, I was feeling righteous anger. But it wasn't producing God's righteousness. It was producing my idea of what goodness is, which is sin. Know this, my beloved brothers, everyone... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's a conviction that I have, okay? Especially with most people who are in this room, all right? Most people in this room would agree that God's word is truth, amen? Most of us would agree that this is truth for your life. It is the most important book that we can never have on our bookshelf. In this book, you know what we do? We find out who God is. We find out who you and I are. I mean, the real us. Okay? We find that out in this book. We find out from this book what it is we're to live for and what it is that we are to avoid. In this book, we come to know 
how to know and grow in our relationship with our God and with others. In this book, we learn how to navigate our lives right here and prepare ourselves for up there. If that is true, and I believe many of us believe that, I have to ask this question. How often do we connect with God's word personally? If we believe this book is so important, are we ingesting this book as much, if not more, than we are Netflix, CNN, Fox News, to which we know those things aren't true? to listen we've got our excuses don't we I I just I I don't have the time after waking up uh, turning on the news checking my Facebook getting to work coming back relaxing with a few Netflix things, talking with my pals, talking with my friends, uh, you know, getting the kids together, getting them ready for bed, getting the things ready for the next day, uh, doing some late night bits of work. And, you know, after a while, I, I just, I realize it's time for bed and I don't have time for the most important thing in my life. You know that's not true, right? You always have time for what's most important to you. And that's why you do it. Which means this isn't as important as you say it is. Some of us, well, I don't because I don't understand it. So I wait for Sunday so that I can have my, my small group leader or pastor or someone else teach it to me. You know, there's a lot of things that I didn't understand and still I got until I got into it. Okay, here's a, I'm going to bust your bubble on something, okay? I didn't grow up in church, okay? I grew up in a bar like Cheers, okay? Uh, Sam Malone, I knew him very well. Not the real guy, but the, the other guy, Sparky, or whatever his name was. Anyways, uh, I grew up in a bar, okay? And then on my senior year in high school, uh, a beautiful, wonderful lady, <laughs> who I will not name Letha's name, she invited me to her church, I got connected. I got pumped into church. Within a couple of years, I felt God calling me into ministry. Just a couple of years of being involved in church. Here is what, this is going to bust your bubble. Here is what did not happen. It may have happened to Kenny, but it did not happen to me. The moment I, I recognized God's call on my life, when I went forward and I, and I went to the pastor and said, God's calling me into ministry, here's what did not happen. As soon as I said yes to God, I had this whole book memorized. That did not happen. This is years and years and years of investment. Okay? Anything that you want to learn takes much investment. So when we say things like, I I, I don't understand it. Listen, find a, a translation that's easier to read and go with it. Some of us, if we're honest... We say the reason I don't get in the word is because I don't need it yet. And in the times you do need it, you don't know where to go. 
so what do you do instead? Here's what we do. When we don't know God's word, or we don't seek him in his word, and trials come, you listen to your heart. Isn't that exactly what Disney taught us? Listen to your heart. Here's the problem with your heart. Your heart knows exactly what you know. Because it's yours. And in the midst of a trial, you are your worst counselor. Here's why. Because when you're in a trial, that means you're in a hole. And you have a lack of perspective. You have a lack of vision. And you have a lack of hope. When you're in a trial and you only listen to yourself, you're only going to hear your own perspective. And check this out. And sometimes when someone comes to counsel you, you do not listen. You are quick to speak. If you're, if you're quick to listen, that means you're also quick to learn. I've come to find this out to be true uh, in, in whatever context you're in. If you're speaking, you're not learning. Right? Because you're only giving off what you know. You have to be quiet to learn. And so if someone's trying to love you and trying to counsel you with God's word, listen, you don't want to listen. All you want to do is defend and justify your actions. And listen, if all of your energy is spent defending and justifying your actions, what do you think is going to happen when someone lovingly disagrees with you? You're going to get angry. Do you not see how James is, is telling us just the simplistic nature of human, uh, of human nature? It's so clear. You're going to get angry. So you don't listen to God's word and instead you say, I need blank to be fulfilled in my life. I'm here to tell you, by the truth of God's word, your greatest need, the greatest need of your life is not another paycheck. It's not another medication. It's not another opinion. It's not another child. It's not another spouse. And it is not another day off. Your greatest need is Jesus. You need his truth. You need his, not opinion, you need his wisdom, his presence. You need his peace. How can you know him? You can know him through his word if you would listen. If you would listen. How do we approach God's word? Number one, we need to hear his word. Number two, okay, after we hear it, we need to receive it. James 1.21 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word. There it is again, the word. With meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, this word is an implanted word. This, the saving of your soul, are you kidding? Do you not see how important this word is? 
But listen, when you hear God's word, when you're confronted with the truths of God's word, you realize something. A choice needs to be made. Don't you? When you're exposed to God's word, a choice needs to be made. Listen, your life, my life, outside of God's word is really full of me. That's what it's about. And I may do outwardly good things, but I'm doing it for the appreciation, the respect of men. I'm doing it so that uh, my back could get scratched. Okay, my ego, you know, can be uh, uh, exalted. So if my life is not the word of God, if that's not my, um, my desire, then my focus is what's going to be what makes me content. Okay, because I'm living for the now. That's, that's just clearly what's in the heart of man. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, even right now, are saying, man, dude, I want, I want, I want him to do all of James, man. I don't want to just stop right here. And others of you are like, man, would he hurry up? I want to get out of here so that I can start my memorial weekend and all this kind of stuff. And we're constantly battling with, with what is right and what is wrong and, and what, what it is that our desires should be. But listen, I'm just going to tell you straight up. If you don't have God's word, you're all about you. Even to the detriment of your family. Even to the detriment of your career. Your pride allows you to do whatever makes you happy. But then you hear God's word. Then you're exposed to God's word and you realize that God has a better eternal focus for your life. He has a focus that brings glory to the very one who saved you. In verse 18, okay, the very one who saved you, he's the one who brings joy to your soul and a love towards others, a love that causes you to think about their feelings above your own. But listen, you can't have both. You can't have live for me and live for Jesus at the same time. Your hands aren't big enough so you have to make a choice if you wish to embrace the new life of the living word you're going to have to let go of the old life it says therefore verse 21 therefore you need to put something away you need to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness Okay, that's our life without God. That's our life, uh, let's just be honest, whenever we choose not to follow his word and we choose to do our own way and our own thing, that's what it ends up being. Even our righteousness is as filth, according to the great prophet Isaiah. It's rampant wickedness because it's all about me. He says, put that stuff away. It's like taking off a shirt. Okay, put that off, take it off, but then receive something instead. Receive with humility the implanted word. It's the very word. Listen, and here it comes. I know that most of y'all aren't hearing something new today. It's already there. You just haven't received it. You haven't embodied it into your life. Some of you have been doing this for decades. You're constantly coming every Sunday, hearing these things, you know, stowing them away in your jacket or your purse, and you're not doing anything with it. It's an implanted word that can save your soul. 
And yet, you're treating it like a breath mint. Let me ask, is Jesus really your Lord and Savior? Listen, this isn't to cause unnecessary doubts. This is a brother of Jesus begging you to examine yourself to be sure you're not being deceived. Is Jesus really your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in Him for eternal life and for life right now? If so, then His call for your life is to forsake your life. Forsake it. Because all it is is a life of sin. And humbly receive His soul-saving word. This means that he directs your life. He becomes boss. It means that he gives now your life meaning and purpose that goes further than the grave. He becomes the priority of your life, not your career, your spouse, your hobbies, or even your appearance. To receive his word is to receive him. Have you received? How do I, right here, ground level, how do I respond to God's word? Number one, you got to hear it. You got to put yourself in a position to hear it. Number two, you need to receive it. As God speaks, you need to say, you know what, I confess, He's true. He's truer than me. So whatever He says goes. You've got to get to that place where you receive His word, not reject it. For your own logic, your own feelings, your own emotions, you say, God, it, it, since you're God, and since you uh, are the blue, you have all the blueprints to everything, including myself. I'm going to listen to your word above my feelings. So you receive His word, but then that's not it. Third, we need to obey. We need to obey His word. I know this is rocket science, isn't it? Rocket science. Her story about a husband and wife. They were planning a vacation. Okay, that's always fun, right? Husband and wife planning a vacation. And they said, you know what? We've never been to the Holy Land before. So let's go to the Holy Land is what the wife said. And the husband's like, oh, that's a great idea. He said, wouldn't it be fantastic if we go to the Holy Land and I get to stand on top of Mount Sinai and I get to scream at the top of my lungs The Ten Commandments. Wouldn't that be awesome? And the wife looked at him and said, But you know, it'd be better if we stayed home and kept them. Burn! (laughs) James 1, 22-25 says this. But be doers of the word. There it is again. Doers of God's word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, we have to be hearers, but if you stop there, you've missed the point. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourselves. Do you not see the passion and the compassion 
of James here. He's like, man, I got a small scroll. I only got five chapters to do this. So I'm going to get to the point. I love you brothers, okay? Sisters, family. I love you so much. I, I urge you, if I only had a few things to say, I'm going to say examine yourself, okay? Some of you are talking like you're ready to get rid of the faith and move on. I need to know if you have a faith that perseveres. If you have a true faith and trust in Jesus. So he says, but you got to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Church, I want you to say this phrase with me, okay? God wants to change me. Let's say it together. God wants to change me. He says, hearing and not doing is like a man who looks in a mirror, okay? A picture of this for a moment. You look in the mirror, and while you're looking in the mirror, see, back then in the, in the uh, first century, they didn't have mirrors like we did, okay, with the silver back, and it just caused an almost identical except flipped expression or impression of who you are, okay? They had basically like pots and pans, all right? Can't really see yourself very well with, with a metal uh, slab. You could kind of see a little bit about it. It was kind of uh, blurry, so it wasn't perfect. So the people back then, they didn't look at themselves as much as we did now. So this illustration is even five times better than it was back then. Because here's what we do in a mirror, okay? When we look into a mirror, we're like, oh, wait a minute. My hair is not right, you know? You know, you lick it up. You, oh, uh-oh, there's a, something i got to get rid of. You know, there's, there's things you do in a mirror just be keeping it real. Okay? There's things that we do in the mirror that when we see, we've got to fix it. Okay? I'm about to go see people, you know? I mean, you ever been there like that? You know, you, you just run and get your jacket on. You run out and people are like, uh, uh. And, and people are nervous or you got like f- uh, some sort of vegetable in your tooth. People are like, uh, we don't want to offend you. But, uh, you know, that's why we look in the mirror, right? To make sure that nothing's in our teeth and we don't have anything that shouldn't be there. Imagine the lunacy of somebody looking in a mirror, seeing broccoli in their teeth, their hair, you know, flappy or whatever the case may be, the, the, the collar not right. And they look and they go, ah, close enough. And they walk away and they immediately forget about all this. We would call that person a lot of different things. Okay? But we would certainly say that person isn't appropriate. This is a beautiful picture of what many of us are like when we encounter God's word. Some of us are willing to listen to it, but we don't want it to do anything for us, especially to us. Because we're just fine the way we are. Thank you very much. Look in the mirror, but do something about what you see. 
You see, I believe, and I, I, I have this conviction because of experience and because of statistics. Some people who are in church today, they're going to hear the Word of God, but they will refuse to do what He says. You know, Ezekiel dealt with this kind of religiosity. If you have your Bible, go to Ezekiel. It's a big book in the Old Testament. Go to chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel was about to uh, preach the word of God to a whole group of people. And this is what God is going to tell him what's going to happen. That's pretty cool. Ezekiel 33 verse 30. Listen to what the scripture says. God says, as for you, son of man, uh, Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, your people, okay, the people in your congregation who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, this is what they say to one another, each to his brother. Come, you have got to hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. That is a preacher's dream right there. Are you kidding me? They're over at the Waffle House, okay? And they're like, hey, everybody, y'all guys doing anything on Sunday, 1030? You have got to come hear my preacher because this preacher, he preaches God's word. You, you cannot miss it. Oh my goodness, that is insane. And then look at verse 31. This dream becomes a nightmare. And it says, and they come to you as people come. And they sit before you as my people, God says. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Lots of hearers, but very few doers. Christianity becomes a Sunday morning display, not a lifestyle. The urging from James to you is this. Look in the mirror. Then do something about what you see. When you are exposed to God's word, God loves you enough. This is grace and mercy. He receives you just as you are. That is an amazing truth. No matter who you are, no matter where you have come from, okay, no matter what you have done, Jesus, not just willingly, he wantingly, that's probably a made up word, he wants to receive you today. But listen, he loves you too much to keep you where you're at. Focusing on self, on rampant wickedness and pride that we talked about earlier that's, that's within us from birth. He loves you too much to keep you there. That's why he exposes you to God's truth, to his own, his very own word, so that you can be molded and made into the image of Christ to his perfection. And this molding and making 
Praise God is going to continue until you die. That's how much God loves you. He doesn't say, I'm done with you, goodbye. No, God is constantly, and that's an act of grace. Whenever God confronts you with his word and he says, there's something going on. There's something that needs to be chiseled away in your life. You need to receive this. You need to live this in your life, whatever that may be. Uh, William McDonald says this about the Ezekiel kind of people. Okay, about the people who come in. Oh man, that's a great message. And they walk away and do nothing. Here's what uh, William McDonald says. He says, we should come to the word of God with the intention of obeying. And constantly checking our hearts. Lest we, fought, lest we fail to apply what we hear. The best response for, to a sermon is not... Hey, that was a fine message. But instead, God has spoken to me. I must do something. Warren Wiersbe, who actually just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Warren Wiersbe said this. Complimenting the preacher is not the same as obeying the master. Listen, we may study the word. Learn the word, memorize scriptures and know this word. But if we are not living the word, being changed by the word, obeying the word, we are deceived into thinking that we're serving God. And all we're ultimately doing is serving ourselves. How to do all three? You gotta listen. Right now, in the midst of your trial, man, you don't want to listen. All you want to do is scream. All you want to do is be angry at maybe some of the the persecutors that are in your life. And you just want to rail at them. Give a beautiful, beautiful example in Christ. This is not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Peter. Chapter 2. Second Peter. Chapter 2. Peter says, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm looking at it, it's kind of awkward there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For this you have been called, that's us, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Do you hear that? So what's about to take place from here on is Christ's example for us to follow. This is the word of God that's to be heard, received, and obeyed. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself 
to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Folks, we don't have the right to yell, to gripe, and to be angry. Instead, we're called to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. The first fruit of your salvation is being played out. There's a watching world that's seeing this. How are you going to act? How are you going to react when, when trials come upon you? Are you going to entrust yourself to Christ? Be steadfast? And allow yourself to mature in Christ? Or are you going to turn those things into temptations? And cause us to stumble in sin and lose relationships and testimony? It's a choice to make. So what is the result of all this? I'm going to wrap up with this thought. What are the results of God's word in us as we hear, as we receive, and as we obey? Here they are real quickly. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says this. If anyone thinks he's religious, okay, a person of faith, okay, uh, not that religious word that we use today that sometimes has a very negative connotation, but this is someone who is a person of faith, says, I walk in the ways of God. If someone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, okay, if you're one of those, if you're one of those people who says this, I am a Christian and you just Use your language and you're, you're, you're vindictive and you're mean to other people. Uh, that's a warning flag. That's saying that there's, there's very little change in your heart, if any. And he says, if you, if you think that you're religious and you do not bridle your tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion, his faith is worth, worthless. Wow. That's pretty telling. So he describes religion number one is really someone who uh, doesn't know how to handle his tongue. But then a positive note, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the, war, from the world. Listen, real quick, three results of God's word in you is this. You're going to have a changed communication. You're going to sound differently. All right, before I was a Christian, I had a real deep voice. No, I'm not saying that's not true. But, hi, everybody. No, um, no you're going to have a change in communication. You're going to be speaking life into people. You're going to be speaking blessings into people's life versus causing pain and cursing. That's going to happen. We'll talk more about this because, listen, I'm going to let you in on a secret. These two verses are the theme of the rest of the book. Okay? You're going to have a changed communication. We'll talk about that in chapter 3. Chapter 2, we're going to talk about a changed compassion. Okay? We are going to be serving those people who need us. You know what we do in our flesh? We serve people who can help us. Isn't that right? We'll talk about this next week in chapter 2. About favoritism and racism. Folks, a changed heart changes in compassion. They serve those people who can't help you in return. Like widows and orphans. And third, you have a changed conduct. 
A conduct that's marked by humility, mercy, compassion, and grace instead of pride, judgmentalism, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Again, and that's chapter 4 and 5. So let me conclude. Are you, are you, and I beg this, and this is something that James, if he were here today, he would plead with you on this thought. Have you really received Jesus Christ as your boss? Not as your mushy-gushy savior, okay? That, that idea of, God, don't change my life, just change my destiny. That's not what I'm talking about. That is not saving faith. A saving faith says, God, you're my only hope. Take over the reins of my life. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of all your sin, past, present, and future? If if you haven't done that, I plead with you. By the love of God who proved his love for you by dying on a cross for your sins. Come to him today. Christian, are you trusting and obeying Christ? Are you giving him your anger and receiving his grace? Are you giving up your desire to be right and instead accepting his acceptance of you? That's all you need? Christian, are you giving up your old desires and embracing his? Hear the word today. Respond to God's word today. Be changed by obeying God this morning. Listen, we have given and we are giving multiple opportunities for you to hear the word and receive the word and be changed by the word. We have small groups that happen. We have, do y'all know at 9 a.m., 9 a.m., y'all know this, right? 9 a.m., we have Life University. There are classes that help you to know God's word better. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you want men's or women's ministry, whether you want to just get dig deeper in the word of God, we have those available for, for you. Even more than that, we have children's ministry that is rocking And some of y'all aren't taking advantage of this. We say we're people of the book, but we don't take the opportunities given to us. What are we telling our kids? What are we telling our kids? It's optional. Best book ever, but it's optional. Folks, this is serious business here. This is eternity at stake. I want to say the greatest thing you can do for your kid, you've seen it on Facebook, is not get them in Harvard, but get them into heaven. But you know what? It's got to go deeper than that. Parent, what about you? What about your relationship with God? Do you hunger and thirst for him? If not, you've got to check your heart. Parents, if, if, if the determining factor of coming to church or, or events is, hey kids, what do you want to do? You know, that's so crazy. Think about this for a moment. We don't give our kids an option on, on going to school. 
We don't give them an option when it comes to, oh, you signed up for that sport. You better go to every practice. But when it comes to the most important things, your kids knowing the Savior of their soul, yeah, if you feel up to it, go ahead. Folks, do you feel the weight of that? It's not my kid made a decision for Christ when they were 11, so he's good. She's good. No, that's just the beginning. And if you don't know that, you haven't received his word. So I plead with you. Know him. Hear his word today. Receive the truths of God for your life. And do not leave here the same. How can you? When you've met with God. Let's pray. God, I hope that what I said brought you glory. I hope, God, that you spoke today. That the weight of your glory is more important than any glory that we can conjure up ourselves. God, my plea is that someone, whether they've been hearers for decades, but they've come to realize this morning that they are not a doer. God, that they would come to you, whether for saving faith or for trusting faith, that they would believe once again that you're right and your ways are good. God, may your perfect plan be accomplished today. May everyone who leaves here today be a doer of your word. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Perfect plan.